This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, should we cut offensive films? Now, we can't get a live audience today, but we can ask some big questions via some remote interviewing technology. And we're asking today's big question to two people. First, to Russ Matthews. Russ loves film and enjoys engaging in discussions about the latest cinema offerings. Russ is a film critic with Real Dialogue, a creative engagement between film and the Christian message. Russ, welcome to Bigger Questions. Hi, it's great to be here, Rob. Thanks. And also to Cliff Philippaya. Cliff is a senior photographic correspondent and press photographer for a global news service, and he's also a great lover of movies. Cliff, welcome to Bigger Questions. Hello, nice to see you guys. It's great that you can join us here. Now, both of you have connected over your love for film. Now, Russ, you're a film critic. Do you get bored of watching films every week? No, uh, I, I don't think I'd probably keep doing it if I got bored. I, I absolutely love it. I love the discussion. Even films that most would consider bad, it's still something about going and seeing a film, especially in the cinemas. Even though I do enjoy, you know, kind of watching them at home, um, I really thoroughly enjoy going and seeing films. So, yeah, I still enjoy it. And actually, I get to meet cool people like Cliff. Great. Well, and Cliff, so you're a <laughs> photographic correspondent. So yes. do you mind if the pictures move, so to speak? You know, you don't mind a film? Uh, no, to be quite honest, they're two completely different mediums. It's funny, when Russ and I talk about films, I actually see it more from the, the whole photographic perspective, like how it's been shot, mm-hmm. type of lighting, composition, that kind of thing. That's part of my analysis. But then we also have something quite similar in the way that we look at films as well. So it actually works out quite well. It's, uh, right, it's, okay. it's, it's been the base of a good friendship. <laughs> yeah, oh, very right. good. That's very good. Um, now to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask some smaller questions just to get us thinking. Today we're thinking about the big issues raised by films with controversial or objectionable content being removed from streaming platforms in light of the recent killing of George Floyd and the subsequent Black Lives Matter rallies. Now this is a big and important question, but I thought we'd start with a slightly smaller one about a kid's TV program that some were apparently calling to be cancelled. Okay, now this was on Twitter, so that needs to be taken into account. Yet recently there are a number of tweets calling for this particular kids' show to be axed. Now the two tweets said, You've already brainwashed a bunch of kids into thinking law enforcement is a noble and just profession. Better to scrap production forever if you want to make a lasting change. And another one tweeted, Every show that makes police seem like a positive force in society is bad and should be cancelled, starting with ones for children. This should not be a controversial opinion. Okay, so guys, what was the TV show that they were tweeting about? Paw Patrol. Was that Paw Patrol or no? What do you think, Cliff? Was it Paw Patrol? I... I'd agree with him if you want to get the answer right. um, (laughs) Okay. Okay, okay. Yes, yes, I think it was Paw Patrol. What what, what else were you thinking it could have been then? Um, I was just trying to think about um, uh, possibly Fireman Sam. Right. Because okay. um, because the fire service work closely with the police on that show, uh, especially sure. when it comes to rescues. But I mean, okay, we'll go with Paw Patrol. Well, <laughs> well maybe maybe Farm and Sam could be next in line. But the answer actually was Paw Patrol. That's Patrol. right. So Paw Patrol right. was uh, so these people were trying to suggest should be scrapped or to be cancelled. 
Um, now, of course, these were uh, this was on Twitter, so it's hard at times to work out if people were serious or this was satirical. But well done, you actually you have passed. You've got our smaller question right. <laughs> now, it, it, well, well done, Russ. That's right. Now, it might be satirical, but this does lead us on to some bigger questions about uh, films or TV shows which have been taken down in recent weeks by streaming platforms in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, Netflix removed a series of offensive or objectionable content involving blackface. Uh, things like Gone with the Wind, an episode of Faulty Towers, Summer Heights High and other Chris Lilly works, 30 Rock and Cops have been removed from streaming platforms. So how do you react when you hear organisations or advocates wanting to, to cut films like Gone with the Wind? It's a, from a classic era, Russ. What do you make of that? Well, there's two things that really kind of happen. One actually gets me excited in the sense that we get to start talking about Gone with the Wind. I mean, it is a film that is 80 plus years old. Generations haven't seen it. It's a classic. And so to be able to consider talking about this film is actually quite exciting for somebody who really loves film. But on the other side, it makes me really nervous um, when we start talking about um, cutting all these things. Uh, in particular, it really feels like it's kind of a modern day kangaroo court, as it were. That's the Australian reference here for you. Well, it's actually one of the articles recently in the Australian talks about it's kind of comes down to a new puritanism, as it were, and that we're really, it's a time with really a puritanism with no hope and no redemption for the sinner. And it happened to everybody. It doesn't matter really what your background is. It's really having an impact on everybody across the entertainment industry. And I think if we get a little bit off the main point of the Black Lives Matter movement, when we kind of get down to the point of everything that has an offensive element to it, be it comedy or whatever, when we start thinking of kind of cutting those things. Mm. Yeah, so there's an enthusiasm of talking about uh, films, but then a nervousness about the whole idea of cutting it. Mm. So what particular issues do you think that Gone with the Wind raises that are worth talking about? Oh, I mean, if you look back, that's one of the things I really kind of appreciate about cinematic history is that you can really kind of get a glimpse into how they made films, what the culture was talking about back then. Um, it, You know, this is 80 years ago, and it's also quite beautiful. It's a beautiful film in so many ways, but also it does contain offensive content, especially from contemporary eyes. And so to be able to learn from our past and understanding more about it as far as um, especially entertainment, but then how it influences us now and why we're looking at it even today um, really says something about it, that that still has something to say. And so I think that there's a value that it has to it, even though some of the messages might be um, offensive in a modern context. Mm. So what do you make of it then, Cliff? What do you make of the, the desire to cut films like Gone with the Wind? Were you a fan of it? Uh, well, to be quite honest, probably the the thing that drew me to the film is that my father looks exactly like Clark Gable, and I'm not joking. <laughs> In fact, when I shaved yourself as well, like, oh, no, yeah. no, 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 not at all, no. Um, but I think I think it's um, it's very foolish of us to try and exclude films that are a um, a massive part of uh, movie history, but also, to be quite honest, quite accurately depict what life was like back then how slaves were treated, how women were kept down, you know, like uh, their opinions and, um, you know, even even though the men went off to war, women were still struggling. But yet when they came back, anything that women achieved was, you know, completely diminished. And I think that's a, it's in many respects still a very accurate depiction of what life was like back then. I don't think it's something that we should just completely exclude and pretend like never happened. Um, mm -hmm. And... Um, I mentioned this to Russ as well, is that uh, the actress that played Mammy was not only the first uh, black actress to win an Oscar, she was actually the first black 
actor slash actress. So that in itself is an achievement because she was acknowledged in in a time where uh, black people were not acknowledged at all. And you mm-hmm. had you you can't exclude that film on that basis because you know there was someone who actually stood out. What you're saying then is that um, in some ways that objectionable issues that are raised in the film is actually connected to objectionable history that actually uh, actually happened. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Cliff, what do you think is behind this desire to remove objectionable and offensive content? What well, well, uh, what I think drives it is that there is a incredibly long period of frustration with nothing being done about the actual issue itself. But I think mm. they've gone too far. Like, um, you know, there's that expression by, uh, what's his name, George Satiana, I think his name is, um, where, you know, if people who don't pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it. And mm. I think this is what ha- what's actually happened is people have ignored um, history. And so they, you know, the same things continue to happen. And I think by this whole cancel culture, like, okay, let's forget about these films, it won't achieve anything because if we don't keep in mind what's happened in the past, we can't then change our behaviour. And mm. and I can completely understand where this groundswell of frustration is coming from. But I think we've kind of lost sight of what we need to do from here. I think just, you know, let's just eliminate that part of our history and pretend like it never happened. If, the, if that's the case, then we won't actually move on and mm. we won't be able to... Well, comes back to the point, point you made before about objectionable uh, movies yeah. reflect objectionable history and so there's actually a sense that's of which right. it's re- portrayed. Um, so there's no question that it's, it is objectionable, though, obviously to this today's standards, though, Russ. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it definitely is. I mean, that's one of the key reasons why HBO Max, who's the one that's really kind of in the centerpiece of this whole thing with Gone with the Wind, um, they were just talking about the fact that it's really because it's a product of its time, but it also depicts things that really are offensive now. And so that's why they chose to, to pull it. I mean, it definitely got the attention that they wanted. But interestingly enough, it's not going to be like gone away forever. They're going to actually bring it back. They're just going to put a label on it. And so they'll be able to put kind of a uh, kind of a giving describing the depictions that people are going to see. So that'll be fascinating. I think that it, it is objectionable content, but I think it's also in the medium of a film. So I don't think people are sitting there going, oh, we need to go back to slavery or we need to go back to treating people in this way. I don't think that's what you would gain from a film like this. I think that it really just it gives us the opportunity to be able to look at the past, but hopefully be able to respond in a way that wouldn't uh, necessarily condone it. Mm. Although the media and films were targeted in the first place, but that, that would indicate something about the power of film, wouldn't it? Wouldn't oh, you say yeah. that, Russ? Oh, man. What other atmosphere do you sit in for two hours, potentially even paying for it, um, for people just to kind of indoctrinate you with their message. And so mm. it sets itself up for that. And I think that's really why it tends to be one of the first things that people go to when they want to cut things, as it were. So, so stories are powerful. Oh, so powerful. And Cliff brings up a good point. It's not only just the story, it's also how it's visually depicted. And so image is so valuable because it's really what really drives us in what we try to do. But then when it's a well-told story on top of it, that's complemented with beautiful imagery and great music, um, that it's persuasive persuasive. and it's just, that's why I think that people continue today, you know, a century on still talking about movies Mm -hmm. like this. So Cliff, then do you think that more accurate representation in the media is important then in trying to combat things like racism? Oh, absolutely. Um, but the problem is, of course, racism exists. Yeah. So you can't not have it in reporting. 
But then, of course, you have to come across as unbiased. And so the the problem that you have is like uh, you have white reporters talking about racism, but the problem that the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, sees is that it's because of the way that white reporters report it, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So it seems like we've talked about so far about the films, some objectionable films reflect objectionable history, and it does reveal that there are some uncomfortable things in our history, perhaps even in our present as well. As you said, that racism is still present. It's, that's quite clear. In fact, there is a connection. Someone actually have made it, drawn a connection between statues. Uh, one commentator said that Chris Lilly just got taken down from Netflix like a racist statue. So there is a connection then, do you think, between uh, cutting films and, and trying to try, cut down stat- statues and so on, Russ? Oh, yeah. I think because there are visual depictions of something that we see represented in our past. And so be it films or be it statues. Now, granted, statues, I don't think necessarily play as major role in our lives as, say, a film does. But as historians, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that it, it's a... Uh, it shows us and points us to something that we can actually learn and understand about it. I think one of the mm-hmm. challenges with a statue is that people can start to label it as one thing without necessarily seeing the full picture of what it truly represents. That person may have had um, some bad issues going on with their lives, be it racism or other other issues, but there are also probably positive things that they maybe have brought to society and maybe that's what we need to kind of focus on. So I think and the same with film. I think that that's uh, one of the aspects of what we see, but also what can we learn from it. And so I think that there's definitely uh, definitely a key connection that we can uh, we can see. But also, I don't think there's a value in pushing away or trying to get rid of our past. I think it's just we can learn from it. Mm, Absolutely. Mm. What are your Absolutely. thoughts? What are your thoughts, Cliff? Because um, Gone with the Wind's been described as a historical artifact. Um, so, are warnings enough? Do you think for films like that? What does the warning achieve, though, to be quite honest? Um, you know, just putting it back, back, back to you guys, uh, I mean, it is an accurate depiction of what life was like back then, but it also should show how far we've come since then. And mm. I, don't, I, I don't actually know if, if, an, if a warning will achieve anything. Here, real quick on the statues thing, um, the Indigenous Affairs Minister, Ken Wyatt, actually said that he doesn't necessarily think that we should take down the statues. He actually thinks that we should keep them so that we're aware of our past, but also we can put, you know, maybe a plaque on them to kind of maybe say something about more of the story than just this mm. is this person. Yeah, there, there's a value to that. Matt, go back to the, the films thing. Well, we already have labels. So here we have MA15 or R or even X. And so what does that do? Well, maybe it draws your attention to it, maybe puts up a little bit of a barrier, but I think that that's where Mm. we're challenged. I think labels maybe serve a purpose, especially maybe for parents with children, but um, I don't know if if a a label is going to cause people not to see it. An example would be that HBO Max cuts it, but Gone with the Wind goes to number one on Apple TV in that week, you know what I mean? So all of a sudden it goes, everybody's going, oh, I haven't seen that film. And so they go straight to it. And so a label actually kind of goes, oh, it's kind of like that, don't touch it. Oh, well that means I want to touch it, you know, kind of thing. And so it's a, it's an interesting thing to think what a label actually does. Yeah. So Cliff, is, is racism something that you've actually personally experienced? And, and with things like labels, warnings, and statu- removing statues, would, would, would that help? I'm just keen to hear your personal experience there. So I'm 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 half Sri Lankan, half English, and um, and I went to a Catholic school where I was actually the in fact the only um what should I say either non Polynesian or non non Kiwi a non white Kiwi, and I I was I was pretty I was pretty much um bullied because of my race, 
Um, mm-hmm. But I was bullied by a very small, uh, small group. And um, in university, while I was actually studying medicine here, I actually, uh, not going into much detail, but I was actually stabbed during a pub crawl by oh, a neo-Nazi. So when I was 19. And, wow. um, and it was actually quite funny because how it all started is he had actually targeted one of my friends saying, what are you doing? With, I won't use the two words that he used. What are you doing with him? And he told him to basically, um, you know, take off and then because we were on a pub crawl they actually followed us and then before i knew it at the second or third venue there was a whole um uh fight that ensued and he pulled a knife and he he actually he stabbed me stabbed me in the neck um but like it was actually when it, it was at a stage where i didn't even understand like i was only 19 i didn't understand how could you hate someone that you don't even know purely based on their skin color and it was something I grappled with for about a good two or three years afterwards. It's like, how can you define someone purely based on something visual? You don't know anything about them. You know, mm. I could be I could be the next male Mother Teresa as far as they know, you know, or or mm. I could be the next serial killer. But to ha- just look at someone like that and automatically uh, put that filter on, mm. um, it was just something I really, really struggled with. Yeah. So there was obviously that's, a, that's a quite a, some ways potentially a traumatic experience of being stabbed by mm. a neo-Nazi. But yeah. then, so how what would help then combat that? Look, you know, there was a a photo that was um, actually published in Reuters in the UK recently at a BLM um, like extreme white supremacists had squared off against uh, Black Lives Matters protesters, and one guy had been isolated and actually been beaten by a group of black guys. And one young black man actually picked him up and carried him to safety. And so afterwards, they interviewed him and his friends. In fact, four of his friends had actually shielded the guy while he actually carried him off. And afterwards, when they were interviewed, um, they, you know, they were saying, we hope that this is an example of how you cannot judge someone purely based on what you've been told and how you should make a decision for yourself about people on your based on your actual experience, not based on this ideology that you've been exposed to. And that's basically what I try to instill in the girls is it's important to realize that unfortunately people will look at you a certain way uh, based on your skin color, um, mm. but that is not what defines you. And that's not mm. how you should define how you judge other people. Um, yeah. So circling to our topic of conversation today, the big question for today then, so is cutting films or statues, is that going to help, do you think? No, no. And I, I, I seriously think that you need to just put it in context and you need to say, this is what like history was like, but this is how far we've progressed, if if we have actually progressed. And if we haven't progressed, yeah. and I, I'm being quite honest here, then what should we do to actually progress? And I, and I think like taking down statues and culling a whole series of films is not the answer. I mean, Russ, what do you think? Um, oh, yeah, because it, it, it kind of comes down to you have that feel of a digital book burning is what's going on. And you're going, uh, well, we've actually proven that that's not a good thing and it, it shouldn't happen. And also it stifles creativity and an opportunity for us to really express who we are as humans um, through film. And so I think what we have to do is kind of figure out what is it that you want to have before your eyes and what you should really be choosing and how you do that. And so I think that you have to kind of Determine the person behind the camera definitely has an agenda. And so are you willing to accept that or maybe not? Well, then I just say don't watch those films or don't uh, don't mm-hmm. go to the, don't go to that park with that statue in it. I don't necessarily think that cutting films or necessarily taking out statues is really going to achieve what they're probably striving to do. Yeah. 
Well, and the deeper question really is connected to wrestling with history, really, I suppose, are the uncomfortable elements of history. Um, so, for example, the creator of the TV comedy 30 Rock, which included some episodes involving blackface, blackface. said that the episodes are best taken out of circulation and apologised for the pain they've caused. Now, perhaps removing them is a start, but it does. It seems like they're wrestling with their past and they're actually, in some respects, looking for forgiveness, perhaps. Would you say that, Russ? Is that too strong a word, do you think? No, yeah, I think that they're that they're trying to um, acknowledge the fact that what they thought was funny and what potentially people thought was funny isn't, and it also is quite offensive. And so I think that it's a way for them to kind of have their own personal, uh, okay, that I'm doing something right here by taking away taking it out before somebody else tells me to do so, um, which I think is probably the good thing to do. Now the challenge is people have bought the DVDs, people have bought the streaming services, you've got YouTube, you've got all these things, so they're still there. And so it's really kind of looking at the issue of how do we respond to that? Hmm. So what do you think, Cliff? Do you think that we are, as a culture, wrestling with uncomfortable things in our past and perhaps seeking forgiveness or repentance? Yes, because it's been happening and it's been happening for a very long time. But the thing is, Forgiveness is only part of a part of the issue. We've also now got to take steps to make sure that things change. That's right. Mm. And it's one thing to just say I'm sorry, but then how how do you then re, um, ensure that it doesn't continue or doesn't happen in the future? And should we ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. But forgiveness needs to move on from there. Mm-hmm. We need to ensure that that doesn't happen again. Thanks for that, Claire. That's great. That's a great reflection. And realizing that forgiveness is more than just saying sorry uh, and yes. maybe doing a, an act in one particular time. It actually means something more. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, perhaps maybe the Christian message may offer a vision for how to engage with an uncomfortable past. Uh, indeed, the experience of a key biblical figure, the Apostle Paul, shows how the Christian message helped him deal with his uh, unpleasant past. He spoke about his experience of the risen Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, where he says, in 8 to 10, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So, Russ, it appears here that uh, the apostle Paul here had his own history of shame. He persecuted the church, which he then subsequently joined. Um, and this memory seemed to stay with him in some way, and he thought it was he was unworthy to be called an apostle because of what he did in the past, yet he could still stand as apostle because of the grace of God. What, what do you make of that? Is the grace of God that powerful? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the grace of God is really a fascinating thing, and also specifically the example of the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul himself was a part of the elite of the elite of the establishment, and he was doing what he thought was right, even by persecuting the Christians at the time. But then through radical transformation, he, he comes to acceptance of Christ and acknowledging, especially in that passage there in 1 Corinthians, the fact that it wasn't by anything that he did. It wasn't how great he was or how bad he was. It was really because God loved him. And so grace, that unwarranted favor, as they would say, um, gave them opportunity to have a relationship with God, but also to serve God. But the thing I really appreciate about Paul and what he's even saying in this short uh, passage that you read is that he acknowledges his past. He doesn't necessarily ignore it or say it didn't happen or eliminate it or say it's not there anymore. He acknowledges it and said, I'm now no longer that man. I am this man. 
by the grace of God. And this is why I'm doing what I do now as far as um, understanding that grace. And so I think that that's the beauty of it and a, really a message that really resonates even now with what we're talking about in that really it's the changing of the hearts of man that really, you know what, we can try to do it ourselves and we can try to be good, but really it comes down to God and really it's God's grace that really mm-hmm. kind of can change the hearts of man. Because there seems to be a real power here because he actually doesn't s- sort of ignore or cancel his past. It's there. Right. But it seems as though this is actually giving him some, in some respects a f- uh, almost a freedom or a strength that can actually help him to deal with it, do you think? Oh, yeah. But really what you can see even in this message and also in the other letters that he wrote was that his confidence was in his forgiveness that he had gained from God. And again, because not because of anything that he had done. Also, he didn't have to dwell in his past. His past didn't define him. His definition really came from God. And so that's where his freedom was. I think that's, yeah, he had a freedom from his past um, to go forward and do what he did. Um, and it really, it was God who really, it was the one that defined who Paul was. Mm. What do you make of this then, Cliff? Do you think this is appealing, this idea of the freedom that, uh, that Paul gets from his past? That means that it doesn't define him and perhaps what you were talking about before, that you need something that doesn't define you to be able to move forward. Well, it's interesting. It's more a situation of forgive, but don't forget. So don't forget mm. your past. And it is um, therefore what you've learned or uh, what you recognize as mistakes that you made in the past that will therefore uh, lead you in the direction that you need to to go. To say forgive yeah. and forget, you don't forget. You, it's, it's, it's the history that you need to remember uh, mm. and need to apply when you go forward. That's right. Well, because the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul stopped persecuting the church. Like he obviously changed. Yep. He obviously was completely convinced. Um, he yep. hasn't forgotten the past, but he's moved on and actually says, actually, now this is actually an ongoing way of, of me living and engaging with the world now. So Russ and Cliff, should we cut offensive films? Let's start with you, Russ. I, I would say no. I mean, I think the cancel culture doesn't really solve the problem. If you truly want to be radical about the change, it's really, we really need to consider more than just what films are being made, what statues are being put up, but, but what, what can really change the heart of man or the heart of mankind or humanity. And so I think that goes to kind of what we've been talking about is that it, it kind of goes beyond us and uh, what can we really do about that. And so, no, I don't necessarily think that canceling uh, Gone with the Wind is really going to affect a whole lot of change. You Cliff? Well, it, it actually opens it opens itself up to uh, a key word there. What do you define as offensive? I am certain that you will be able to find someone who finds any single film that you put up, there will be someone who finds something offensive about it. So therefore, are we going to cull all films altogether, all books, all everything? So in that respect, no, it, absolutely not. And going back to what Russ says, I completely agree. You can't. It's part of what defines us. And, you know, it's um, films Films are a record of the human condition. They're also an outlet for portraying a particular theme, you know, which otherwise wouldn't have an outlet. And I think that we just need to put things in context rather than just saying, right, this film's a good one, this one's not, you know. I mean, who defines that as well? And mm-hmm. it, it's all part of our history. But the thing is, I keep going back to it is, history should actually help define our future because uh, how we move forward should depend on how we behaved in the past. So, no, I don't think we should cull any offensive films whatsoever. Let me leave you with some of the Bible which might help us wrestle with uncomfortable things in our past from 1 Corinthians 15, 8 to 10. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, 
I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. I look forward to you joining us next time for bigger questions. Thanks very much to our guests today, Russ Matthews and Cliff Philippire. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.